I have to bring this a bit brief. So if you'd like to turn with me today to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I think I'm going to start at uh, 25. Now, if you could put your finger there, and then we're going to, uh, perhaps I'll use uh, Revelation 12, 11 as my, uh, my theme scripture, and then I can go to, so keep your finger at uh, Ephesians 5, 25, but if we look at Revelation 12, verse 11, and we, we know this, we say it often, right? I hear paper. I want to make sure everyone, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting we have this technology. And it says, same version, I think, yeah, they, overca- they, o- they conquered him. See, I'm going to use my version. So I'm, I'm so used to, I'm so used to my version because I say, yeah, as soon as I said it, no, no, no. This is my version, which is the New King James. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, That is something I'm sure we have used and used and used and used, which is all true. But the next part says, and they did not love their lives to death. So here's the full thing. It says they they overcame him, him being the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death and it is the they did not love their lives to death is the thing I want to major on you see and I I thank God what God's doing I am when God sort of uh, showed me because um, uh, I have like everyone else I've gone through phases through time through fashions whatever and there was a time when everybody was uh, end time preachers. And uh, many, and we, it is partly right where we look at Israel and we, I, I've said it up here, where is, I've said that if you want to know uh, what time it is on God's clock, you look at Israel. And whatever happened in Israel is an indication where Jesus is coming. Because if we are Christians, we are looking for the bridegroom. Because we're the bride. And then I thought to myself, well, I don't know what, if I get a chance, I'll explain. But most brides are excited. Their their wedding day is the big, big, big day. I mean, it's the, uh, if you've ever, uh, obviously, I've had the opportunity to see what a bride does for her wedding. But... uh, I think I'll get another insight when my daughter uh, starts to get how much energy, everything must be just right. There, you know, the color scheme, they want this. And knowing my daughter, I better start praying now because uh, <laughs> she is, uh, she's creative, shall I say, and uh, creative ideas and what have you. So uh, I, uh, I praise God for her. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Um, in fact, her, her birthday is, is today. 
a birthday is today. So, um, yes, it's celebration all round. But I'm saying that the bride, when it's her, uh, her wedding day, they are so looking forward. They plan everything down to the details. And it's, um, I remember mine, and it was like a military campaign that you had to organize this, you had to organize that. The flowers had to come at this time, and the cake had to be done this way, and the color scheme had to be that way, and everything had to be just right because it was her big day. I think I can see Andrew's even smiling behind the mask. He's he remembers. <laughs> He's one of the closest ones. <laughs> and Gloria's quietly just sort of... Um, <laughs> That was a day. It's a special day. It's a landmark day. And if we are the bride, how, how excited are we that the, the, that day our Lord will come? And, and one of the things that um, I think I was trying to get away from it, but I have to give you some background. There is the... The many things that Jesus said concerning the bride and the bridegroom was actually the uh, Galilean traditional marriage. When I looked at this, I thought, wow, so many scriptures make sense. Because I, I don't know about you, but the, um, and it was quoted today about the wise, wise virgins and the unwise virgins. And the fact that they went to sleep and then there was a call and some said, uh, I've run out of oil. And the other said, can you borrow uh, some of your oil? And I said, no. All that. So I'll, I'll explain, I'll explain the, uh, the tradition of the Gal uh, Galilean, um, Galilee tradition wedding. What used to happen is that um, the, like many cultures, it was family meeting family. So the family would meet with the, the groom's family and the bride and they would come together and they would agree that my daughter will marry your, your son. And the, the children did have some say, but it was mostly family and family. And then they would agree a bridal, a, a dowry. And this dowry was both for the loss of the, the father losing their daughter, and it was also insurance, so that if something goes wrong, there was some insurance for the, the bride. Now, so the, 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 the fathers and the families would agree then to get married. So that's where you got the betrothed. And as far as in those days, you were, uh, uh, I don't think it's legally married, but you were, betrothed to each other and you were promised to each other. And if either party uh, got involved in someone else, it was, almost like a, it was almost like adultery. So, and then, this is the part, and you'll, you, you'll hear echoes of the scriptures. The son would then spend his time building a room on the father's property or attached to the, pro the property. And he would then, I'm sure you hear when Jesus says in um, John 14, 2, um, I go away to prepare 
uh, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you. Now, that is an echo again, because what the groom used to do is to build a, a, a room, set of rooms attached to the father's place. And then he would, when he, when he built it, he would then come to the father and say, Father, I built this. And the father would look at it and maybe say, no, I think you need to do this. So eventually, the, the father would say, yes, I'm satisfied. Now, it was down to the father. The time, the day, was down to, wholly down to the father. The son did not know when the father was going to say, okay, you can take your bride. At the same time, the bride, the, the bridegroom would also tell the bride to say, I've now built it and my father has now accepted. So now get ready. So the bride, I mean, I don't understand this. The bride will then have to sleep in a bridal gown together with her bridesmaid for I don't know how long. Could be, could be weeks. But any, any moment, the father would simply, and it seemed to be at night, would simply say, okay, son, go and get your bride. And there'd be a chauffeur horn blown, and everybody knew that this was the day and the night that the father had chosen for his bride, for his son to collect his bride. So that is why, I mean, as I say, it's, it's, it's the culture at the time. Jesus, all the, most of these disciples were from Galilee. So when he was talking about the five wise and the five foolish, they knew exactly. Because the, the, the reason why the bridemaids were there was to usher the bride into the father's house. And not to, and, and, and what used to happen is that Anybody, because it's like a, a village, they blow the shovel horn, everybody's celebrating, the bride has to uh, get ready, the bridegroom, bridesmaids had to light the way, they would carry her to the father's house. Now, anybody that wasn't ready when it came to the feast, the door was shut. And they had missed out on the wedding. Everybody kind of knew, it's so a village, everybody knew that this was going to happen. I don't know whether it was, I don't know, it sounds to me strange, but everybody knew, it's, it's, it, I don't know whether it was a game, or I don't know, but the father would just simply get up one day and say, son, go and get your bride. And there'd be a chauffeur horn, et cetera, et cetera. So all those, all that is to, to uh, many, many things that Jesus said to show that we ought to be ready was based upon the, uh, the Galilean tradition marriage. Now, all that's to say is here, and I'm coming down now. In Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also love the church. Now, it is right that we use it because he's talking about husband and wife, but the mystery, as Paul described it, is that the mystery he's using husband and wife to talk about Jesus and his church. 
Now, you're talking about a husband and wife or, uh, uh, or to be betrothed, to be married or whatever. Jesus and the church. No wonder he says it's a mystery. If you're actually thinking about it, the love that a husband should have for his wife is reflected with the love that Christ has for the church. Now that's, that's deep because when you start to understand how much and even and the love that Christ has for the church is so deep that the husbands, we have a big project or a big thing to aim at because he's saying, love your wives as Christ loved the church who gave himself for the church. The love was such that he was sacrificed, gave himself for the church. And he's saying, husbands, that is how you must treat your wives. So I'm going to, so, and, and, and we go here and it says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and that he might sanctify, separate, separate, that sanctify, separate, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. So I want to focus on Christ's relationship with the church. Now, there was a fashion, I don't know if it still is, there was a fashion of crying down, calling down the church. Oh, the church is this, the church is that, the church is this and whatever. Be careful. All I can remember my days, and even now, if you insult my wife, you're not going to be my friend. You can't go around insulting my wife and expect me to be your friend. It's not possible. Similarly, be careful what you say about the church. When the church, I'm talking about me, you, the church, the church as a whole, Christ has paid a heavy price for this church. And yes, history would, would tell you the church at sometimes was a horrible, unattractive. Uh, I, I mean, if you want, I can't find adjectives to say how horrible and how far the church has been away from what Christ wanted to be. Yet, Jesus did not say it one time, that's it. I'm divorcing you. Or the betrothed is off. Because Jesus knows what he's going to do. See, I'm, of, I'm excited because I am uh, excited about Christ coming because I, I know that the church, that he, in fact, it says in 27, he says that he might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, shall be holy and without blemish. It says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. But I'm sticking out and sticking to the church. So I, I believe that if you want to know, because I'm going to be short now, this was a bit long, but I'm going to squeeze it. I believe 
that the church that Christ died for is, is the indicator of Jesus coming. Because this glorious church will be, will be greater than the former church, or shall we say, the church of, Pente of Pentecost, the church that Christ is going to bring home, will be glorious, will be marvelous, will, be, will, will overshadow the things that uh, even the apostles did. Now, is it going to be comfortable? No. In Matthew 24, I can't remember what it says, I, I read it again, and it says, because lawlessness, depending which version, because lawlessness abound or sin abound, the love of many will grow cold. So put in English, things are going to look so bad. And if you're looking around at the world, you're going to see evil and lawlessness and sinfulness that if you get in, you start to focus on that, your own love, because maybe people that you looked up to are now compromising, are now doing things. The people you, 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 you looked at starting under pressure to compromise or fall, that your love for Christ will start to go cold. And at this point... At this point, I just want to give us a sort of a principle. Men and women of God and those who are in leadership are still men and women. They haven't been elevated to the angelic realm yet. So they have their faults. They have their weaknesses but maybe God is using them on a different level or a level to edify you and build you up. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to mention a name, but those who are watching the internet will understand what I'm talking about. There is a great man of God who died recently, highly respect. But, they have the, but before he died, and he was in his late age, before he died, there was a rumor, and it's found to be true, that he was receiving uh, inappropriate pictures from a woman. And because of that, his ministry is being tarnished. Now, some of the stuff I haven't even watched because it just gets me annoyed. Because this, this is the question. If you or anybody has been following this ministry, and have been enjoying this person's ministry. Have you been praying for him? And if you have not been praying for him, though enjoying his ministry, you have no right to criticize him. Because you are enjoying this man's ministry. You're being edified. You're being built up. You've been understanding the word of God more. And yet you were just taking, taking, taking. And not praying, Paul said, pray for me, that the door that is open to me. In other words, Paul himself was craving the prayer of, his, of, of the people that were following him. So if you have, and I partially am guilty of that because I enjoyed this man's ministry. And only occasionally would I pray for him. 
Now, not knowing that he had a weakness. And this weakness has, has, has affected his, his ministry that's left behind. Now, if I, which, is, which I'm correcting myself, if I have a, someone who is ministering and is ministering to me, it is my duty, not a faith, it is my duty to pray for him or her. Because if I am enjoined, then I have a duty to be praying for this person that God ministers and protects him. And Because when you're up there and you're ministering and God is using you, the enemy, you have a big target on your back. And when we start to, to stop being childish, thinking that, because I remember a time, and I'm finishing in this, didn't even get to where one brother this like to do. I remember a time I went to a prayer meeting, and I went to a meeting. And unusually, because I'm not known, I keep myself quiet. They asked me to pray. And I was introduced as Pastor Eric. So I prayed. And then after I prayed, I was promoted. I was a promoted to Bishop Eric on the basis of my prayer. This is nonsense. And, and oh, man of God. Oh, man of God. Oh, sorry, I'll keep moving around. Sorry, I'm giving my cameraman a hard time. All right, I'll stay here. I'll stay here. <laughs> man of God. Man of God. Apostle. Uh, this. I mean, the, the credentials are just increasing. This is nonsense. And if I now start to hear, huh, they call me Bishop. Don't call me anything but Bishop, Bishop Eric, or Apostle Eric. It's nonsense. It's, and if it starts going to your head, we're in trouble. God is going to have a glorious church. And, as, and, and when someone comes to me about this particular ministry, I'll be telling them that. And I say, I, in fact, I said, I said to one person, and it sounded a bit harsh, but I said, so what? And the reason I said, so what, is because if this person had the weakness and on his deathbed he repented, then he's in heaven. Now, it's not to say, not belittling what he did was wrong, it was wrong. But I have no right to be to be involved in any criticism because I enjoyed this man's ministry and I didn't pray for him or not enough. I have no right. And I just want to, for us to, to understand this is we need the Holy Spirit to love in a different level. We thank God that this church is known for love seen in action, but I'm saying there's so much more. And I will end with this. We can, uh, preach is always about three endings. So I'm definitely going to end with this one. Definitely going to end in this one. I um, was watching this. Uh, in fact, it was based upon, it was a documentary. Film, you know, film stroke documentary. And it was in the French resistance. And the Discarpo, which was the, you know, the Germans at that time, they were hunting down those who were uh, French resistance. And... The, when they got caught, what they used to say is that 
no matter what happens, please resist giving the names for at least three days. Because if you can resist the, the torture and not give your name, because they know that the pain and the agony that they would put you through, eventually you would crack. But they said, please, if it is possible, resist for three days. Because in those three days, once they got the words out, they would shift and move all the equipment, etc., so that on the third day, they, they knew that, okay, I'll give you the names and the place because they, they knew they weren't going to be there. This is true fact. And I'm saying we need to build our spiritual selves up where we are understanding that the love we have for one another has to be beyond death. I mean, we, we, we upset ourselves, we get upset over our little things, but I'm saying there's another level that we need the Holy Spirit to bring us to. Because this glorious church, the church where God is going to manifest himself and is going to bring home, not a church full of uh, uh, blemishes and spots, but a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, a church that, that, uh, that the bridegroom will be proud to say, this is my bride. This is my bride. Glorious, wonderful. This is what I paid my blood for. This is my bride. Come, come into my father's place. Come, eat with me. Come, enjoy with me. You, me, is part of that bride. And we have to get into another level. We need the Holy Spirit to bring us another level where we, when we're tortured, because if you read Matthew 24, it says that the love of many will go cold and those who go cold will actually pursue those who used, they used to fellowship with. That's how tough it's going to be. But when we start the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place of really loving the way he wants us to love, where we are prepared to lay down our lives, where we will say for three days, I will take every pain. Because oh, the, the, the Scarpo also knew that they had this saying. So they would put, they would break bones. They would do all kinds of torture for this person to give up the names before the three days. Because after the three days, even the Scarpo knew that that by then they'll have moved. And this is people who are flesh and blood, don't have the power of God, who would endure three days of the enormous amount of pain and pressure, broken limbs, beatings, electric, electric torture, everything because of the scarpa knew they need to break them before the three days. And they would hold out, say no. That's why it says that uh, in, in uh, Hebrews 11, he said, some would not even ask for deliverance because they saw a better, glorious uh, 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 deliverance. Church, there's so much more. But God has given us so much to potentially to be what he wants us to be. That glorious, glorious bride where he can say, come, come into the feast and the glory of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah.